You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. He is hope, amen? Amen. Thank you, y'all. Y'all, buenos dias or buenas tardes. My name is Peter, and I, I serve as the With Every Nation campus, uh, ENC on the campus. Yeah, let's go. Welcome to third service, best service. Here we go. Y'all, I, I want you to know that our church is actually a part of a larger family, a global family of churches called Every Nation. One of our great focuses is campus ministry, presenting the gospel to the next generation. And I came into this church, my wife and I both came into this church through our campus ministry, through ENC. This young, handsome man here, Pastor Morgan, was our campus minister, and he performed our wedding. A few years later, we, uh, we planted ENC down at Texas State University, who just beat Baylor yesterday. Hallelujah. Let's go, Bobcats. There's been barely Baylor Bears in here with the booze or whatever. Should be more enthusiastic. A few years later, this church planted the Springs Church in San Marcos. And I got to lead that church for 12 years before I got back where I belong a few years ago, right back on the campus. I've been there for the last several years. So I'm going to ask you to prepare your hearts for worship through hearing, please. I'm going to ask you, if you can, can you stand to your feet to honor the reading of Holy Scripture? We're going to be at the end of Matthew chapter 9. So Matthew 9. Jesus, come now and remove distractions, anxieties. Give us ears to hear your word. Amen. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Lord, please add a blessing to the reading of your word. Amen. Y'all, I need your help examining something real quick. Let's play the game. Is this social media post inappropriate? Ready? Here we go. She says, humble brag time. Hope wins. I got a promotion. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag just believe. Now, is it inappropriate? Thoughts? Okay, not super inappropriate. Mildly obnoxious, perhaps. But, but what if I were to tell you that this was posted on May 28th, 2020? as our nation was reeling in horror from the tragic murder of George Floyd. See, context is king. What about the New York City office manager who threw an office party to celebrate the sales quota being met? Nothing wrong with an office party, right? But what if that party was on September 12th, 
2001. See, we have a phrase for these sorts of missteps in our culture. We call it tone deaf. Tone deaf. And I want to ask an uncomfortable question about the Bible because it's church and we can do that. How is what Jesus did here in Matthew 9 different than that? Let's not be so quick to just rush over things that we might otherwise be familiar with and run right by the tension right there. Sometimes in the sanctified discomfort, we'll get a lot more than we would otherwise. Here, Jesus sees this hopeless situation, and he speaks hope. But it's not as if Jesus is tone deaf. He is not. It's not as if he's lacking compassion because, listen, Jesus felt the pain and the heartache way more than anyone else. But his compassion didn't negate his hope. And his hopeful proclamation about the plentiful harvest didn't somehow nullify his compassion. So are we ready to learn from Jesus? Amen. Are we ready to learn how to be a light in the darkness? Anyone besides Morgan, are we ready for this? Hey, let's go. Third service, best service. I want to really examine in these four verses, I see four surprising factors in the way that Jesus demonstrates for us how we too can speak hope even in the midst of pain. Number one, in the first verse, I see incarnate mercy. And then severe diagnosis, then confounding hope, and in our last verse, a personal solution. I'm going to spend a few minutes on each, but first let's go to the start of our passage. Incarnate mercy. See, it's one thing to be merciful by word or even by tone or attitude, but it's another thing categorically to put feet to your proclamation. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities. Everyone say all the cities. Thank you. All the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Let's pause there. Jesus moved around a lot to embody his compassion especially when it cost him. He risked his own reputation, his own personal safety to teach and to touch. And then he went to another village and just ran it back again. Jesus is different categorically than everything else. See, every other religion and idea and faith is essentially a story about how you need to do better. You need to get to God. You need to go there. You need to get to heaven. Here's the one, two, three steps, all, all this stuff. But our faith is the exact opposite. It tells a story of the Son of God himself who went. He left his own comfort, his own glory to come to us to put on flesh, to incarnate. And he came to us when we never could have gotten to him. That's our story. And Matthew says that he proclaimed, he preached the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. The same kingdom words that would get him killed. And it says he healed. So Jesus wasn't just giving us words about how to get to heaven. 
Jesus brought heaven to us. Remember that common English phrase, that challenge, are you gonna, are you just gonna talk the talk? Or are you gonna walk the walk? See, we know it, because it rhymes. The only problem is, evidently it's a false dichotomy. Because with Jesus, it's always ever been both. It doesn't help anyone for us. If we are to be like Jesus, it doesn't help anyone for us to exhibit a sort of talkless walk or a walkless talk. Jesus speaks hope with his whole person. And we speak his name because his name is still the name above every name. There's still the name that has authority and power to heal today. And so with words and with embodied, incarnated actions, we speak hope. Again, our first words of our passage. And Jesus went. In 1997, I wasn't looking for Jesus. And Jesus went looking for me. He sent young people from a campus ministry to get it all up in my business and interrupt me. I wasn't in for this. See, in high school, I was, I was looking for a good time. No, no matter how that good time didn't actually feel good or fulfill me, it only brought me more guilt. But in my pursuit of conquest and, and popularity and, and perversion, I was a lot like a sheep, harassed and helpless, but I also acted a little bit like a wolf, too. See, I was a carnal kid who didn't know anything about human worth and dignity, and I never would have figured it out on my own. And Josh went. Jesus sent this young man named Josh to me. I used to smoke with him at the middle school bus stop, and then he saw me on the first day of high school, and he got near to me. He draw, drew close to me. He befriended me. He incarnated God's mercy. And right then, I knew something was different about Josh. I knew something was different, but I never could have known what until he spoke up. And spoke up, he did. He wouldn't shut up. He kept talking about Jesus. He kept speaking hope, speaking the gospel, and exposing my false hope. And I got this Jesus FOMO. I got godly jealousy for what he had. And so I went to his Bible study, his campus Bible study in this campus ministry. And there I saw these young people who dared to open the Bible and read it out loud. And I even felt the Bible start to read me a little bit. And I learned that Jesus, Jesus saves sinners. And I didn't have anyone to have to convince me that I was one of the sinners that needed to be saved. I've never been the same. And I, I can't shut up about it either. That's not an apology, that's an assertion. And Jesus went. And today he's looking for a generation of people, sanctified people, young and old, who will go with him, who will go to the nations, who will go to the campus, who will incarnate God's mercy. Listen, y'all, we need to be concerned with how to get people to come to church. We have a great church, but we need to be far more concerned about being the church that goes to people. Amen? Incarnate mercy. And then number two, a severe diagnosis. 
Have any of y'all ever experienced a doctor with virtually zero bedside manner? It's like, he's not paying attention to your symptoms. He's not really seeing your suffering. And what tends to happen is a bad diagnosis. And with a bad diagnosis, it's unlikely that you're going to find healing. But watch how Jesus, in our next verse, he draws near to diagnose our deepest underlying disease. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they didn't have any money. Oh, wait, nope. Because they had lost their conservative moral compass. No. He had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without their shepherd. Jesus really sees. First words of verse 36, when he saw. He sees. He's not distracted. He's not anxious. He doesn't get anxious like I tend to get when I have this death rectangle out all up in my business and reeling and tweeting and whatever I'm doing. He sees. He sees because he went and he saw and he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, let's even slow down a little bit more. Look at this verse. Who were the harassers? Look closely. Who were the harassers? The answer is, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And maybe there's a point in that. Maybe the point is, is when we drift away from our good God, anything and everything, even the things that we call good, can become our harassers. When we drift away from the protective hand of our good shepherd. Jesus comes. Jesus sees. Jesus diagnoses that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without their shepherd. Now, please hear me. The essential underlying problem behind all the symptoms then with humanity is the same as it is today. Shepherdlessness. And today, all sides of all the cultural debates gravely misdiagnose this fundamental issue. Shepherdlessness. So a typical left-wing worldly attitude will assign humanity's basic problems only to the external factors. So it's the systems, it's the institutions, it's the, it's the environment around the sheep, as it were, that are to blame for the harassed and helpless state of humanity today. But Jesus, though concerned with those things, never was fundamentally concerned with them, despite how wicked and how powerful the civil or religious rulers seem to be with the Jews and the Romans. See, Jesus is saying, no, no, those are problems, but those are symptoms. The problem with the sheep is not necessarily fundamentally the state of the pasture, as it were. But on the other side, the typical right-wing worldly attitude doesn't assign blame for our brokenness to the external issues, but to the internal issues. So essentially, your exclusive and only problem with you is you. You are your only problem. The pasture's just fine. It's good to feed on and to lay bare for me. You're your own problem, nothing else. So the problem is your own sheepness. So do better. Work harder. Think deeper, sheeple. 
still hate that word. But Jesus says no. No, our deepest problem is neither the state of the pasture nor the sheepness of the sheep, but it's the shepherdless state that we find ourselves in when we wander away from a wise and loving God. And in that state of alienation, we bring only more grief and only more alienation and enmity to one another. And then the internal and the external things just get worse and worse and worse. So what do we do? We make it worse. We, we find False shepherds that promise to make everything better, but they only degenerate us further and make us more angry and more tweety and Facebooky and triggery. So what do we do? We go ahead and make it worse. We try to shepherd ourselves. And y'all, this experiment has been worse. This whole sheep playing shepherd, humans playing God, it's been a way worse experiment than if you were to on your next flight, try to jump in the cockpit and play pilot. Everyone would die. Best case scenario, we're all stuck perpetually. Jesus is a good shepherd. He wants to lead us and to guide us and we're harassed and helpless without our true source, the good shepherd, Jesus. And in this state, it's no wonder why we see an escapist generation rising up, addicted to screens, looking to chemicals or sexuality to answer the deeper, more profound questions about our identity and finding in those cheap answers only more profound anxiety. Jesus brings such a painfully severe diagnosis to the broken state of humanity shepherdlessness. But then in the very next breath, number three, such confounding hope in verse 37. See, Jesus could have looked at us and said, oh man, this generation, y'all are, y'all are a mess. I'm done with this. You're doomed. But he speaks hope in a way that seems contrary to the diagnosis he just made. Check out the next verse. So considering the harassed and helpless state without our shepherd, verse 37 Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pause there. You need to know that in regard to your very real pain and heartache and brokenness, Jesus does not see less than you see. He sees more. See, when he sees us, he's moved to compassion by the destitution and depravity and the heartache and the getting back at each other. But in all of that destabilization, he also sees a redemptive opportunity right there in the middle of the pain. And he's willing to bet his whole life on the hope that he proclaims about that situation. Because he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hopeless weight of the sheep's wandering is nothing compared to the confounding hope of the shepherd's love. I'm gonna say that again, listen. The hopeless weight of the sheep's wandering, it's something, it's painful, it's destructive, but it's nothing compared to the power, the confounding hope of the shepherd's love. See, when we see only heartache, Jesus sees harvest and he speaks about it. And I think there's a great illustration about this whole situation, about the harvest in the heartache, 
that was a movie this summer, and you should go and see it, and I'll try to spoil very little of it. The movie Jesus Revolution depicts the 1960s hippie culture so well. A generation was harassed and helpless, looking to drugs and sex to define them. Same old lies. And while so many conservative Christians were content to sort of remain as sideline scoffers, distancing themselves from that messy generation, those kids who'd lost their way, othering them. Nevertheless, in the middle of all that pain, a few Christians saw an opportunity there. See, in their minds, if these kids were willing to leave behind the stability of normal life for a lie, how much more ready were they to receive the truth? If only someone would draw near would get close, would embody and incarnate the mercy of God and speak hope in the name of Jesus Christ. I won't spoil anymore. You should go watch it. But better yet, watch what God's doing here with us. Watch. Watch what he's doing. When we speak hope, we are seeing the destitute and the afflicted but we're seeing something more. We're seeing a deeper story of redemption and we're calling people into it with the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. We're echoing the authoritative and confounding hope of our good shepherd, our prince of peace. Finally, number four, a personal solution in our last verse. See, the good shepherd, Jesus, is the answer to the world's Problems. That's not hyperbole. That's a glorious Savior. And he's calling his flock back home. But just how is he doing that? That's where the solution gets really personal. He's wanting to use you in this generation for such a time as this. He's wanting to use you like Josh was used in my life wants to use you. Our Every Nation Church in Houston has this slogan that they always trumpet. Participation is greater than observation. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. Thank you. Y'all, this is my friend Dat from Vietnam. Now, I have permission to share this photo, but please don't post it on social media. We're actually blurring it in the broadcast. Dad is from Vietnam, and a few decades ago, he went to college in Vietnam. And freshman orientation there is just a little bit different than here. So in the West, our orientation is like one week, and it's a little bit about academics, but it's mostly about having fun. But for Dad, according to him, it's a two-week freshman orientation, which is mostly a counter-inculcation against Christian witness. See, the church has been growing in Vietnam the last four or five decades powerfully, especially on the campus. And the government there sees it as an existential threat to their influence. And so they gather students together for a few weeks to teach them how to, number one, reject the preaching, and number two, report the preachers. But on Dad's third week of school, he's crossing the street from the campus, and he sees this young Filipino preacher preacher starts to tell him things about himself that only God would know. It's what the Bible calls prophesying. Dad gave his life to Jesus right there at that intersection. 
And over the next several years, Dat saw powerful things, costly things, even as he and his friends were being locked up, who were being per persecuted and mistreated. Our church there was growing, expanding from Ho Chi Minh City all the way to Hanoi and back. He saw people willing to pay the price for the hope that we profess to incarnate God's mercy on the adventure with Jesus. He saw it, and we can see it too. The world is harassed and helpless. We can't deny it. But at the same time, the harvest is plentiful. Do we agree? Better yet, are we willing, this fasting week especially, to demonstrate through our prayer and participation that we agree with Jesus? Amen. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Like Jesus went to every city, let's go to every nation. Like he said in Matthew 28 before he ascended into heaven. Anytime a dude says to do stuff and then he goes up into heaven, we should really take note. <laughs> let's go. Let's go to every campus. Let's go across the cubicle. Let's go across the street. Let's ask our neighbors and our friends, hey, we should swap stories. We should get together. I want to learn more about your background. I want to tell you what God's done in my life. Let's go. But as I close, lest the enemy in Jesus' name, I bind the, act, the accuser. I silence him in Jesus' name. If he's trying to tell you, you're not qualified for this yet because you're still harassed and helpless, you need to know that the hope we're talking about is categorically of a different kind. I'm going to close with this verse from 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, not, not according to your hard work, not, a, not according to the non-harassed and helpless state of your heart. No, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Two, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you, you are alive. You are hope. And you're wanting to resurrect our hearts so that we can be indwelt with this heavenly hope that animates our lives and spills out from our lips. So Lord, show us now, if we're to see a living hope and a resurrection life in us now, would you show us what has to first die in us? Whether it's vain pursuits and anxieties, and striving or unrighteous relationships or destructive habits, Lord, show us. Father, some of us need to fully and finally surrender to your son, to stop running. And if that's you, if the Holy Spirit is singling you out right now, just pray this in your own heart. Jesus, I surrender. I give myself away to you like you gave yourself to me. Make me yours. But then if you pray that, go share with a friend before you leave. Don't be in a hurry. And Lord, give us all new power to see to see your glory in the harvest and to say what we see with anointing and power in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.